Yeah, praise God. Just an awesome week. Uh, Vacation Bible School is always a highlight of the year. Uh, This year was no exception. I think you've heard in announcements or the Hope 360, over uh, 1,200 kids here in Ankeny. That was around 400 volunteers that took place in uh, Vacation Bible School. Then yesterday with Taste of Hope, a whole bunch of other volunteers doing stuff. We're just thankful and praising God for everyone who plays such an important role in the life of this church. That video you just watched was made by Trey Enhouse, who's back in the production booth with his hat on backwards. Trey, uh, he's been helping out in production since he was in middle school, and his parents were like, would you please do something with this kid? No, they weren't doing that. But he's, he's been around for a long time. He thinks he needs to go on vacation or something and then go to college. So this is his last worship service with us. So praise God for Trey and all the gifts he's brought. It's been a blast to have him around. All across all of the campuses of Hope over the last two weeks, over 8,000 boys and girls uh, spent some time getting to know God better, and it's just incredible. So I wonder, what do you know about God? Because there's all sorts of ways to think about God, aren't there? And who is God? What is God up to? What does God like? What is God doing in this world? Our focus uh, over the course of the year at Hope this year has been just getting to know God better. To know and to be known is our theme for this year. And throughout the summer, we've been taking a look at the book of Acts in the New Testament to try to help us get to know God better. We got to know a guy named Saul who thought he knew everything there was to know about who God is. And then he had an encounter with some guy named Jesus that changed everything for Saul. It changed his name from Saul to Paul. And immediately he starts to go around the Roman Empire talking to everyone about who Jesus is, starting churches and that sort of thing. I wonder what the people that Paul was encountering in, in that Greco-Roman world, what did they think about God? Who, who did they believe God to be? In Acts chapter 17 that we're going to be digging into today, we get some clues, we get some ideas. How did the people of Paul's day think about God? Luke, the author of the book of Acts, writes this in verse 16. Paul's walking through the city of Athens, and he's just kind of taking it all in. It says, Paul was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. Deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. Now, so part of what this tells us is the Greeks and the Romans in in Paul's world, what they thought of God, the story that they believed about God, who God was. There's all kinds of gods and all kinds of goddesses and all kinds of sort of sea creatures and creatures of the land and of the air. And there's this great mythological story that tells us what to believe in in who God is. And the role of human beings in that story, in that narrative, is to meet the needs of the gods. Do whatever the gods and goddesses want us to do. That's why human beings exist. And into that culture and into that kind of understanding about who God is, here comes Paul, and not just Paul, all of the disciples of Jesus, telling a very different kind of story (laughs) as a way of getting to know who God is. One of those disciples is a guy named John. And I want us to read this uh, verse together. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. We know that the Son of God has come, and He has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. If you want to know who God really is, look to the Son of God. That's the story of Christianity. Look to Jesus, learn from Jesus, listen to Jesus, follow Jesus, and you'll start to get to know who God really is. 
That's why we do Vacation Bible School every year. We want kids to know Jesus. We want friends of kids to know Jesus and parents and grandparents and neighborhoods and communities and cities to know Jesus because the more people know Jesus, the more they will get to know who God is. When you think about it, our culture is not very different from the Greco-Roman culture that Paul is working through in the Roman Empire. Uh, They had a lot of idols in their day. We have a lot of idols in our day. There's a guy in New York City. He's a pastor and an author. He wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods. His name is Timothy Keller. And in this book, he talks about what does idolatry, idol worship look like in 21st century America. I think this is a helpful way of thinking about it. He says, when anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness and self-worth, it is essentially an idol something you're actually worshiping. When such a thing is threatened, your anger is absolute. So what is that thing for you? Or maybe there's multiple things. What is an absolute requirement in your life in order for you to be happy or to feel good about yourself? And again, he's not talking about basic human necessities like food and shelter and water and clothing. Move a little higher up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Maybe there's a certain level of income or success or popularity that you need that's required by you in order for you to be happy. Maybe it has something to do with achievement in sports or academics or music, you know, making the right show choir. Maybe it has everything to do with control. And when your ability to be in control is threatened or when you feel like you're losing it, you find yourself starting to get angry. What, and, and part of what I want you to notice, most of these things are good things. All kinds of good things in our life, but what happens is we start to elevate them to a place where they become unhealthy, where they take, take the position that only God should take in our lives, when they become the requirement for us to feel good or happy about our life, and when, they're, when we're in danger of losing it, we start to get really angry. Paul says, pay attention to that. Tim Keller says, pay attention to that. It's possible these things have become an idol in your life. So as Paul's walking around the city of Athens. He sees all of these idols. He's disturbed by it. He's deeply troubled by it. That's an important concept. It doesn't say that Paul is angered by it. It doesn't say he hates the people of Athens because of all of these idols. It says it troubles him deeply. Why? Because the idols are proof to Paul that they don't know the real God. And Paul wants them to know the reality of the love and the grace and the joy and the hope and the peace that the true God gives. Because Paul's experienced that in his own life. He wants everyone else to experience it as well. So into that culture that has one story, one understanding about who God is, Paul begins to tell a different story. Look at the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus tells us how much God loves us. Look at the death of Jesus. The death of Jesus helps us know how much God loves us. And that love, the power of of that love, raised Jesus from death to life. And that same power is available for you and for me so that we can have the kind of life that Jesus had. We can have eternal life. That's the story that Paul is telling. And the people of Athens think it's kind of a strange story, is what Luke writes. They've never heard something like this. What's this, a God who dies? What's this resurrection stuff? And part of what Luke wants us to understand about the people of Athens, they've almost elevated philosophy to a place of God. They love to sit around talking about and discussing the latest ideas. And so they hear this new idea from Paul, and they invite him to come and to talk to them some more about this whole Christianity thing, this this Jesus thing, this resurrection thing. 
So Paul's there with the smart people of Athens, and look what he says. People of Athens, I notice how ridiculous your beliefs are because they are different than mine. He doesn't actually say that. But a lot of Christians in our world kind of act that way towards people who have different beliefs. And maybe you are here and you're new to church, you're new to faith, you're still exploring, you're not quite sure what you believe. Maybe you've had Christians treat you this way, where they kind of think you are ridiculous because you don't believe what they believe. And for those of us who are Christians, particularly for those of us who call hope our church home, we have a mission here to reach out to the world and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. We have to remind ourselves on a pretty regular basis because we are human beings, there is a healthy and helpful way to reach out to the world around us. And there's a way of doing that that doesn't help a whole lot. It actually kind of makes things worse and turns people off to church. So here's something for us to keep in the back of our minds, a question for us to remind ourselves of on a regular basis as we are carrying out the mission and reaching out. Should I expect someone who is not following Jesus to act like they are following Jesus? Should I expect someone who is not following Jesus to act like they are following Jesus? I might want them to act like they're following Jesus, but should I expect them to act like they are? Because what I sometimes see from uh, Christians is just kind of this sense of anger at those people, whoever those people are, shaking our you know, fingers and sometimes our fists and shaking our heads and saying, why do they do that? Why do they, how can they possibly think that? And think about your own life when you're sitting down at your keyboard and you're engaging with people on social media. Or when you are having conversations with people that you work with or conversations with your small group from your church or, I don't know, going out to coffee with friends, getting together with family and and having family gatherings, does the conversation ever turn to that finger-wagging, head-shaking, think about those people? Maybe one of the things that would be good for us to do on a pretty regular basis is just back away from the keyboard. And take a deep breath and pause long enough to remind ourselves, no, I should not expect someone who is not following Jesus to act like they are following Jesus. I may not understand it, but maybe we should say, there but for the grace of God go I. Paul doesn't get angry, he doesn't belittle the people of Athens when he sees all these idols all over the place. Instead, what Paul does is he looks for common ground. He finds a way to take who they are and what they think and what they believe and build a bridge to Jesus. Here's what he actually says, Acts 17, verse 22. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. I walk all over your city. I see all these shrines to all these idols, to all these gods and all these goddesses. You must be very religious. Guess what? So am I. You have big questions about life and faith. Guess what? So do I. You, you wonder, where did all of this come from? How did all this come about? Why is it here? Who made me? Why am I here? These are good questions. These are important questions. And, and you've bought into a story that tries to make sense of all of it. Well, I've got a story I'd like you to hear as well. In just a little over a month, we're going to have the next session of Alpha here at Hope. Go ahead and clap if you've ever taken Alpha at one of the Hope campuses. A lot of people, there's nothing magical about Alpha, but a lot of people have found Alpha to be a real safe place where they can ask the questions that they have about God, about faith, about church, about life. 
And so I'd really encourage you to think about signing up for it. It's going to start uh, after Labor Day in September, and you'll start to hear more about it in the upcoming weeks. But basically, it's Sunday nights for nine or ten weeks. We'll give you a meal, and then there'll be a time of singing songs, just like we did a little bit earlier. There'll be a time of listening to a talk, just like you're doing right now. And the best part is you'll get together at the end of the night with a small group of people, and you will get to talk about your questions. You, you'll be like the people in Athens who get together to discuss the latest ideas, and there's an opportunity for you to do that. If you have already taken Alpha, I always want to encourage you to be prayerfully considering who are those people in your life who you know are very religious in every way, but they don't want to have anything to do with church. But they might be interested in something like Alpha if you would say, hey, let's do this together. Let's go together and let's talk about this and, and, let, and maybe that would be a good first step for them to consider the story of Jesus. Uh, in the last century, there was a guy who was a pastor in the south side of Chicago for several years. His name was A.W. Tozer. He was a prolific author and one of the books he wrote has become a classic in Christian circles over the last 50 years or so. A book's called The Knowledge of the Holy. And the very first sentence, the very first thing that Tozer writes in this book, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He understands that somewhere along the way, uh, we've learned a story that informs us, that tells us who God is. And it may be a story that somebody taught us, or it might be a story that we just kind of picked up as we were paying attention to how people act as, as they think about who God is. Another class we offer around hope on a pretty regular basis is a class called The Good and Beautiful God, based on a book written by James Bryan Smith. And in there, he talks about false narratives. False narr these stories that we have about who God is and what God is up to. And he says, many of us have these false understandings, these false stories. And so the book does a great job of saying, let's look at Jesus and, and let's try to make sense of who did Jesus think God was? Because we have these false narratives. What comes into your mind when you think about God matters. Tozer says it's the most important thing about you. So think about it. If you think there is no God, there's no standard for life and for love, that's going to impact, that's going to shape your life in powerful ways. Or if you think of God as sort of a celestial slot machine and let's, let's pray and hope we strike it lucky, that's going to shape your life in powerful ways. If the primary story you tell yourself about who God is, God is angry, God punishes people, that's going to shape your life in powerful ways. What comes into your mind when you think about God? While you think about that, I want to show you a clip from a movie called The Empire Strikes Back. Maybe you've heard of it. Some guy named Luke Skywalker crashes an X-Wing into a swamp in Dagobah, and then he meets this really cute monster. <laughs> I don't know how you describe him. His name is Yoda, a Jedi master. Pay close attention to what Yoda has to teach young Skywalker. Take a look. What comes into your mind when you think about God? What comes into your mind when you hear the story of Christianity, that God becomes human, lives and teaches and heals for 33 years and then goes to a cross and dies, but three days later is raised from death to life? And if you believe in him, you can have eternal life. What do you think of that story? What do you think of that God? A little crazy, a little impossible? Maybe Yoda's right. Maybe you must unlearn what you have learned. 
Uh, one of the roles that we have at Vacation Bible School is a role called Shepherd. Uh, shepherds hang out with about a dozen kids all week long, take them from station to station, get to know those kids really well over the course of a week. I was talking to one of the shepherds who said on the first day of Bible school last Monday, kind of towards the end of the day, one of the little girls in that group said, if I hear somebody say God or Jesus one more time, I'm going to scream, which makes sense because we talk about God and Jesus a lot during vacation Bible school, but it also makes you wonder, what does that little girl think about when she thinks about God? That makes her want to scream if somebody says God or Jesus too much. What has she learned? What story has she been taught that maybe she needs to unlearn? Now, the good news is that little girl came back every single day, and she listened to the stories, and she asked questions, and she heard about God's love and God's grace, and she heard about eternal life. And our hope and prayer is that seeds were planted last week, and at one point, hopefully sometime soon, that little girl will want to embrace the name of Jesus. And of course, it's not just little kids who need to unlearn what they have learned along the way. Adults do as well. I talk to a lot of adults who say one of the things they appreciate most about hope is they've learned a new story about who God is, a different story than the one that maybe they grew up, a story that's been really helpful to them. So what are the stories that some of us believe? They actually turn out to be not too different than the stories that the Greeks and the Romans believed about God. And we kind of believe the same thing and, and apply it to the God of the Bible, that somehow God needs us to meet God's needs. That's, that's why we exist. And I don't know where we learned it along the way, but some of us kind of pick up this idea maybe early on in life, you know what God needs? God needs for me to dress up in really fancy clothes that are uncomfortable and I never wear them anywhere else, but I wear them to church because God needs me to. Or I need to read God's book or else it's going to go out of print. God needs me to do that. God needs me to sing God's songs. And everybody knows God's songs are not new. They're old, old songs. God needs me to volunteer for the church. God needs me to give money to the church. God needs me to be active in the activities of the church. Or the church is going to have to close its door. Anybody relate to these kinds of stories that somewhere we pick up along the way? And it's not just when we're kids, even as adults, we buy into this story that says God somehow needs me. God needs me to try harder and work harder and do more, and I ought to do this for God, and I really should do that for God. And the kind of story about God that we end up with, believing, is that God is somehow insufficient. God doesn't have what it takes, so God needs us to meet God's needs. What, what kind of God is that? And so, Paul, walking through the city of Athens, I see your idols to these gods over here and your altars to these goddesses over here. And there was even a shrine that was engraved to the unknown god. Just in case there was some god that they hadn't named and they wanted to make sure all the gods were happy and in, in making sure we're worshiping all the gods, there's a shrine to an unknown god. And again, Paul doesn't make fun of them or belittle them. He looks for a way to find common ground. He says, this God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. Over and over again, we see Paul doing this. We see the writers of the Bible doing this. We want you to know who God really is. And so Paul tells them a story of a God who creates everything. A God who watches human beings come up with all these false narratives and wrong stories about who God is. And God says, that's no good. I need to get down there. I need to help them see who God really is. So God doesn't stay far off, but God comes close. God draws near. 
so that God is touchable, so God can help us. God doesn't have to live in a temple made by human hands, but God lives with us. God lives in us. And then look at what Paul says in verse 25. In fact, let's read this out loud together. Read it with me. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. Satisfies every need. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about God, but I do know whatever the story is that you've bought into about who God is, it runs your life. And if you buy into a wrong story about God, it can ruin your life. And so this is the story we try to tell at Hope. We don't always get it right. We mess up pretty frequently. We're far from perfect. But we always try to come back to this story. God is not somewhere far away waiting for us to meet God's needs. God, through the person of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, has come to us. And he gives life and breath to everything. And he satisfies every need. He satisfies your needs. Satisfies my needs. It doesn't mean life is going to be perfect, pain-free, problem-free, or easy But it does mean we can start to believe a new story about who God is. We can believe God is actually very good. Uh, I get questions from people all the time. How can you continue to believe that God is good when you look at everything that's not good that's going on in this world? How does a good God let that happen? And always for me the answer is the point back to Jesus. Point back to the Son of God. I mean, have you ever really looked at Jesus? who Jesus is, how Jesus lived his life. He hangs out with lepers. He eats with outcasts. On the night before he dies, he gets on his knees and he washes the stinking feet of guys who are about ready to betray him and deny him. Everything that Jesus does, he's trying to help us know something important about who God is. Jesus tells all kinds of stories. The purpose of the stories is to help us know who God is. He tells a story about a heartbroken father who watches and who waits persistently, hoping that maybe one day his child who has run off and made all kinds of horrible decisions will one day return to the Father. Jesus is trying to tell us something important about who God is when he tells us that story. Thousands of people would crowd around Jesus everywhere he went, and the powerful and the prestigious people of Jesus' day wanted Jesus' attention, but time and again, he walked away uh, from them and he paid attention to people who were ignored and overlooked. He's trying to tell something important about who God is. He goes to the cross, and hanging on the cross, he promises heaven to a thief who is desperately hoping that grace is true. He offers forgiveness to the very people who nailed him to that cross. Everything Jesus does, everything Jesus says, he's trying to help us know something about who God is. And there's a couple of conclusions that we can come to. One conclusion, if that's true, if that's the true story about who God really is and it's summed up in Jesus, then God must be crazy because what kind of God would do that? But there's also another conclusion, isn't there? A God who would do the kinds of things that Jesus does, that's a really, really good God, isn't it? Which story do you believe? And what you believe matters. Just ask Yoda. Take a look. George Lucas can tell a pretty good story, can't he? And actually, there's a lot of pieces of the Star Wars stuff that fits in really closely to what the Bible's trying to teach us about who God is and what Jesus is all about. But ultimately, there's only one story 
that is the best story, that is a story that offers us the best kind of life right now and life that never ends. It's a story about a God who's really good, but it's sometimes hard to believe that. We often fail to remember to believe that. God is good, and let's stand together, and we're going to sing about the goodness of God as we close out our service.